view human relationships. Bannon's words are disturbing because they reveal a cynicism that is profoundly dangerous to our society. And I don't think Bannon has a corner market on this cynicism. The cynicism is this. The only reason we do anything is because of how it affects ourselves. The only reason that the Catholic Church cares about the dreamers, about DACA, about immigrants, is because they need immigrants to fill the pews. If one holds that kind of cynical view that human relationships are merely transactional based on a tit-for-tat ethic, well, then it's impossible to understand why the church, why Christians, why we would defend, care for, love people for any other reason than personal gain. And in, a, in an increasingly consumer society where we buy what we want when we want it, when we reduce people to only their skills and hours in a gig economy, well, that cynical, transactional view of human relationships is hardly a surprise. And it probably colors the way we hear Jesus' words today. We're used to Jesus encouraging us to love and forgive more than we want to. But here, Jesus seems super cut and dried. Here's how you deal with a problem person in your own community, he seems to be saying. First, if someone in church sins against you, go and talk to him or her alone. If the member listens, super. If not, then take one or two others with you the next time so there are witnesses. If the member refuses to listen even then, tell the whole church. If the member still refuses to listen, treat that one like an outcast, a Gentile, or a tax collector. That all sounds so reasonable, right? I mean, it sounds pretty modern. Treat people according to how they treat us. There are clear rules. If you follow them, you're in. If you don't, you're out. In a world that has grown cynical, transactional about relationships, this passage is clearly about how to correct someone who is wrong. And it's about how to get rid of someone who will not bend to the rules. But here's the thing. Jesus is talking about something much more wonderful and complicated and difficult than just another secular institution. He's talking about the church. He's talking about us. We, the body of Christ that needs all of its members. And Jesus is giving this advice in the midst of an entire discourse upon forgiveness, God's ongoing lavish forgiveness of us and how we are to follow suit even when it's really hard. Right before this, we hear about our God who is like a shepherd leaving 99 sheep to find the one who is lost. Right after this, Peter asks Jesus how many times he must forgive another who hurts him and suggests that maybe seven is a good number. But our loving Christ says, seven? 
Try 70 times 7. So you see, what Jesus provides today isn't a rule book for how to discipline, discipline one another, for how to get rid of the troublesome, how to protect the community. Rather, Jesus is demonstrating how to live as the beloved community, where relationship is more important than being right. Because our God is all relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who entered into deep relationship from the moment of creation by choosing to join us in humanity and continuing today to move in our lives. Here Jesus continues to point us towards his kind of radical, self-giving love that leads him to the cross. Here Jesus is saying, when someone wrongs you, Don't reject him. Don't gossip behind her back. Don't disparage or humiliate that brother or sister in Christ and don't attack them in public. Go talk in private. Be humble. Be vulnerable. Stay in relationship. If that doesn't work, Bring some of the faithful with you to make sure that both sides are heard fairly. If even that doesn't work, then the whole body of Christ is endangered, and so it is empowered to help bring you two back into relationship. And then, if still even that doesn't work, then you can treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector. (laughs) Except, remember how Jesus treats Gentiles and tax collectors? (laughs) He loves them. He listens to them. He reaches out especially to them. He eats with them. He heals them and their children. He shares the gospel with them. He even makes them disciples. Matthew, the author of this gospel, was a tax collector when Jesus called him. This was so much a feature of Jesus' ministry that he was denounced by the religious leaders of the time as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So you see, even when someone seems entirely exasperating, even if that person chooses to leave our community, we are to love them Maybe even go after them like the one lost sheep, which, by the way, goes against just about everything the world has to say these days about how we are to treat one another. The world tells us that we are to have borders and boundaries, that we are to keep our lives clear of problems. Increasingly, there is a notion afoot in our own country that as long as we follow the the law and pay our taxes, we owe nothing to nobody, and no one owes anything to us either. But our story, God's story, provides something much deeper and more complicated and difficult and vulnerable and interesting and loving The beloved community, the body of Christ, has a very different standard. 
It reconfigures all of our relationships, and the standard is this, as Paul outlines in his letter to the Romans. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. You see, we don't owe anyone anything other than love. We don't care for one another because we deserve it. Or because if I care for you, you'll care for me. We do so because that is the distinguishing mark of a people who are freely loved and forgiven by God. As church father Tertullian wrote about we Christians 18 centuries ago, our care for the derelict and our active love have become our distinctive sign. See, they say, how they, the Christians, love one another and how ready they are to die for each other. Now this might sound really, really hard or maybe even really, really ridiculous or naive. It might sound like more than we can handle, but the thing is this, this isn't just an obligation for us that we have to be more loving, though there is that. This is also a promise. This is a promise to us. Over 30 years ago, our presiding Bishop Edmund Browning famously stated that in this church, the Episcopal Church, there will be no outcasts. There will be no outcasts. That's not just the people ticking you off. It's for you ticking others off. Here at All Saints, we have been crystal clear that everyone is welcome. We have welcomed the strange and the stranger. And I have been touched and encouraged over and over again as I have witnessed so many here having hard conversations, disagreeing with, even hurting one another, and still showing up on Sunday for communion, remaining part of this body, and allowing God to nurture forgiveness, reconciliation, and healing. In a world that privileges the individual, individual rights, and darned few obligations, in a world beset by frightening storms and fires, the terror of war and uncertain political times, that world is desperate for, even when it has trouble seeing, the beautiful sign of hope we Christians as the body of Christ can be. You are wanted and loved, not because of what you can do for us, you are wanted and loved because of who you are and because of how God loves all of us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.